How's it going, everybody? Welcome to another edition of Waterfowl 365. I am your host, Chris Adams. What's going on, everybody? Another Wednesday afternoon, another Callmaker podcast. Getting ready to go. Um, last week, we did Colton Thompson, one of the halves of the Makers Call Company. And this week, we're going to follow it up with Travis Ward, part of the Makers Call Company, the other half. I actually went through uh, the Facebook memories today, and we launched his episode last year added, uh, on May 5th last year. So couldn't have worked out any better. I had no idea that's what was going on, but uh, ready for him to get on here and uh, talk a little bit about his own custom calls and what's going to be going on this year, as well as uh, what he sees with makers. So without any further ado, Mr. Travis Ward. Travis, what's up, buddy? Good, you? Dude, just uh, enjoying the day off. I looked at my work schedule. Wednesdays are always my day off. And uh, I had a random vacation day scheduled for Friday. And I asked the boss. I was like, dude, I want to save my, my vacation time. Why do I have this day off? It's not, I'm not supposed to have it. And he's like, well, dude, your, your birthday is this weekend. So I was giving you a three-day without letting you know. And I was like, well, that's cool, man. Like, I had no idea what, you know, why the heck it was on the schedule. I didn't have anything planned. I wished... Callapalooza started this weekend, so I could have that extra day, but uh, now i got to try to figure out. Yeah, I hear you. Uh, I don't know if I'm ready for Callapalooza to start or not. It's, there's a lot of stuff has got to be done between now and then. So. Well, yeah, you said before we started recording that you were in the middle of tuning 30 calls and then had 70 more on the way, or maybe I flip-flopped that. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's about right. Uh, yeah, we've uh, we're trying to get all of our our calls. For, me and Colton's going to have a booth set up for makers at, at Callpalooza, and we're trying to get all of the calls we got, you know, polished up and tuned, ready to go, so that we can just go up there and, and enjoy a few days and and not have. You know, of course, we're going to be at a booth some, but not you know, not be work for us and just just enjoy it. So we got some work to get done, but we're excited about it. Absolutely, man. What did you guys go last year? No, see, it's uh, not as makers, you know, like but we, just as individuals. We talked about before. I did crop insurance, and it's uh, Callpalooza always fell the same week as my uh, adjuster school. It's in Huntsville, Alabama, every year. So it was like I was in Huntsville from Monday to Wednesday, and then you know Callpalooza was the same week. That's just. It would have been too much for one week. So this is going to be my first year going. And I think it is Colton's too. So we're both excited. It's uh, it's right up my alley. they got good beer and good food. So. <laughs> now, are you still doing the uh, the crop insurance stuff? Yeah, yeah. I'm right still on. doing that. It's, uh, it's been a, a slow, it was a slow fall for crop insurance. All the crops were in good shape didn't have much over the winter and hasn't really gotten cranked up yet so i've uh, i've had a lot of time in the shop thankfully the is your busy time like when there's uh like tornadoes and hail and stuff coming through uh i mean it's it's mainly honestly in the last six or seven years my territory is west tennessee and all of arkansas and so the you know our major uh weather events that cause claims are either big range you know where we had some flooding and stuff or just the mississippi river flooding 
and that could you know that can happen from just rains up north so when that gets out we when the river gets out we get busy yeah now man it's freaking may was it this time last year that the river was like the last two or three years it's been way flooded man uh, the mississippi river up there except for this past fall i feel like the mississippi river's been out for six years it feels like and it's, it's not done uh, it this year has it no not yet i mean it got high a while back but um uh, we it hasn't gotten out really big this year thankfully mm-hmm. um that's uh, it's unreal the amount of acres that goes underwater when the, the river gets high you yeah. know on both sides of my territory well yeah and it's like uh you know i drive over the missouri almost every day at least four days a week and uh i you know haven't i haven't seen it crazy high and obviously the missouri is not the mississippi but it's pretty pretty big and i'm only about 150 miles from the mississippi river when i'm up there and uh, I don't remember it getting that high at all this year. It, it seems like it's been a dry year, which is weird because it's supposed to rain like the next five out of seven days in Missouri. Yeah. Yeah, we just uh, we just had a, a pretty rough patch of storms come through the last couple of days. And actually, I think the last time we talked on a podcast, we just had a couple of bad storms come through too. But, uh, <laughs> so we, we, we had quite a bit of rain in tennessee and arkansas and it's we're pretty wet right now and like you said we're supposed to get more the next coming weeks well that was the funny thing uh i woke up yesterday and just i dude i slept so good i i can never sleep at night you know i just i don't know why i can never sleep through the night and uh i slept so solid last night and i get up at five to get up to go to work and the girlfriend normally is snoring knocked out she says she breathes loudly but you know we know what that is and uh she was like asked me to do something in just a normal voice and i was like oh you're already awake and she's like i have not slept all night and she is terrified of thunderstorms grew up around here you know but is terrified of thunderstorms and i was like did it storm or something last night she was like all night long and you never once flinched and I was like, I had the best night of sleep I've had in a long time. And she was just so <laughs> well, mad maybe it's because she, she didn't sleep and she wasn't snoring. <laughs> right? Maybe that's the case. <laughs> but, yeah, we had a, apparently it was pretty good uh, the night before. And then yesterday in Jeff City where I was working, it was just downpouring all day long, dude. I cannot stand that stuff being wet all day long. Oh, I know. I, uh, actually, I just got a, a new little lab puppy from Colton a few weeks ago, and it's unbelievable how nasty a puppy can get after a good rain. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as soon as we get done with this, I have to give my uh, one-year-old lab a bath. And I say mine because it's the family's dog. We have a one-year-old chocolate lab, and she has zero to do with duck hunting. She's going to be... Uh, a therapy dog to go with my girlfriend who's a, a counselor and we're training her and having to put her through all those obedience classes to get her therapy certified but uh so we say it's the family dog but it's not my dog <laughs> you know how that uh, thing goes it's probably your dog who pisses in the floor or gets dirty or something else oh well this morning she asked me before she went to work because it's my day off she said hey uh delta has to go to the vet this afternoon and they need a poop sample 
And I said, well, I guess you better take her and walk her before you go to work. And she's like, come on, please, I don't have time. And I was like, I guess I'm going to be on poop patrol today. I have to follow her around with a damn plastic bag waiting. So then I pick up the damn poop, put it in a plastic bag, put it in another plastic bag because I don't want to freaking smell it. And I was like, okay, what am I supposed to do with this poop? Am I supposed to put it in the fridge? No response. <laughs> Texting for like 30 minutes. So I'm like, I'm going to put it in the fridge. You know, forget it. And an hour and a half oh, later, no. she's like, it wasn't supposed to go in the fridge. And I was like, so now I get to do it again. Be on poop patrol for the second time out there collecting dog crap. Oh, man. I don't, I don't think I could have put that in my fridge. <laughs> so, yeah. It turns out it is my dog when it comes to that stuff. <laughs> That's how it goes. Brother. So, um, you guys have Callapalooza coming up next week. You're setting up a booth. Uh, what day are you coming up? Well, we're we're going to head up on Thursday. Uh, not sure what time, but we're going to be there. We'll be there Thursday, Thursday night, Friday that night, and Saturday. And I believe we're probably going to stay Saturday night, too, and head out on Sunday morning. I think we had originally talked about just heading back on Saturday evening, and I saw they was going to have their big crawfish bowl that Saturday night. So I went ahead and bought some tickets for that. And I I don't usually miss an opportunity to eat crawfish. Yeah, man. I have not had that. I used to live right, uh, I don't know, like an hour outside of uh, New Orleans and then like an hour outside of Mobile, kind of dead center in the middle in Pascagoula, Mississippi, a little uh-huh. one-stop shop town, and uh, old, old decoy factory town. Yes, absolutely. Uh, it's the place the squirrel went berserk in the old Ray Stevens song. Anybody that knows that, show my age. <laughs> but uh, yeah, man, we always had that type of stuff while I was stationed down there. And now I move up to Missouri, and they opened up in Springfield. They opened up this uh, Cajun restaurant, something. And they had pull boys and stuff like that. And I was like, this is this is not Cajun. It's like, it's good for, you know, up here. But we just don't have the food quality. Unless you want barbecue. If you want barbecue in Missouri, we're good to go. But, uh... uh I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't know. Y'all do stuff weird up there. Uh, I'll put Kansas City barbecue up against anything. I've, uh... That's the good thing about being in the military, man. I've lived... Almost everywhere except the West Coast, and uh, I've had food from everywhere. And I maybe it's just preferential. I like Memphis barbecue, but I'm a big Kansas City barbecue guy. Yeah, Tennessee's weird. You can you can go to three barbecue places in one town, and they'll all three be a different style. It's uh, you know everybody kind of associates us with like Rendezvous and Central Barbecue. You know the famous places down around Memphis, but Honestly, you go anywhere else in Tennessee, you just no telling what kind of barbecue you're going to get. <laughs> I, uh, when I lived out in Virginia Beach, I wanted to find this barbecue joint, and uh, I wanted to eat barbecue. I, I, don't, I didn't want to find a specific barbecue joint, but I wanted to eat barbecue, and uh, I jumped on Google back in the day. I don't know. This is like 10 years ago now. It doesn't feel like it, but it was. But... Uh, 
there was this address for this barbecue shack that was only a couple of miles away from where I lived at. And I was like, I've never seen this place before at all. And uh, we start driving to it, and it is like literally a shack behind this guy's house with like a gravel drive going up to it. And I was like, okay, well, let's try this out and uh get out and i was like well you know what do you what what do you got right now like what what's the uh the meat on the grill right now and he had some pulled pork and i was like bet that's what i want some pork or some brisket um you know let's go for it and i was like do you have any uh do you have any um holy cow every time i get on one of these recordings man i always brain fart you have any coleslaw and uh he was like yeah and i was like can you put it on the sandwich i want some coleslaw and he's like where are you from and i was like missouri and he's like that makes perfect sense and you know he had the vinegar style coleslaw and i was like dude this is this is perfect only two or three miles away this is amazing and he's like yeah i'm actually from you know the midwest and i was like bet like that's this is my new home base of operation out here on the east coast because like it's not to to knock anybody from the east coast but it is not the same as here in the midwest and i guess you probably consider yourself in the south yeah 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 we uh like i said we got we got all kinds here um you know even even the famous memphis barbecue um you know like rendezvous uh, they're, they're, it's a whole different take on stuff than the next famous uh, barbecue place down the road. It's it's kind of crazy. They've, uh, there's no, it's like, I don't know, I can't remember who it was, if it was Kraft or whoever, Heinz, I believe, come out with like their signature uh, barbecue sauces. You know, they got the Kansas City and the Memphis style and all that. It was there's some of us talking up here, like, you know, who did they pick to get this Memphis style from? Because it, it doesn't really taste like anything from down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anything that but, yeah. appeases the masses, man. Yeah. So you, uh, you're going to get down there on Thursday, you said. And did, that's the one thing that screwed me up. I, I penciled in on my calendar for it to be this weekend. And I was I was super stoked about it. My kids are at the ex's house. Like we're we're kid free this weekend. I was like, it's gonna line up perfect. I'm gonna head down there. And then I find out when I actually read, because I'm you know, typical guy, I don't pay attention to what the hell is actually going on in the details. And I read that it doesn't start till Monday. And I was like, Oh, well I guess next weekend I'm bringing the kids down and uh trying to figure out that type of stuff and it's going to be a day trip instead of a, a you know a weekend trip and uh yeah that definitely threw me off man yeah no we're i'm taking the whole family with me i think we're me and my wife and two kids and probably gonna have to take the puppy because i don't know many people that want to watch a puppy for a few days yeah uh, we'll probably all pack it up and head over there so we we uh and colton book us a little uh, it's like a, a hunting lodge. It was on Airbnb. It's about 15 minutes away, so got plenty of room. Be a good time. Nice, man. Are you uh, are you participating in any of the events or going to watch any of the events besides the crawfish boil? I can't imagine with uh, setting up the booth, you were like able to commit to any of that stuff. Um, I, 
Not really. I, I wanna, I do wanna kind of watch in on the, the call makers build all. I've been texting back and forth with uh, Mr. Big Michael Meredith and you know him and and Will Shelley and Jeremiah Klusman and I think Brian Byers. I can't remember that last one. They're they're on a team. And uh, I told him I was like, you ought to walk in there with a half gallon of CA and a roll of blue shot towels and say let's get this party started <laughs> dude i haven't talked to freaking michael in so damn long it's crazy but yeah i'm a i think that'd be fun to watch don't you it, i told him i said it looks like they got two goofballs that like to drink and two uh Picasso's of duck calls on each team, so it'll be a good time. What day are they doing that? Do you know off the top of your head? Uh, I'm not sure. May, I can't remember if it's Friday or Saturday. I hope Saturday, man. I, it uh, might be both days, actually. The, the build-off? I'm not sure. Yeah. Let me look it up real quick. This makes really great air time, I'm sure, us doing research while... <laughs> That's the the bad thing about podcasts is it's not scheduled. I mean, we talked about freaking barbecue for ten minutes, and the I would say the reason that happened is because I'm literally just starting uh, through meat on the freaking grill. So <laughs> it's it's on my mind, man. I'm trying to figure out. I'm on R and T's page trying to look for it. Oh, they got barbecue there. Son of a gun. Yeah, they, I, I saw they had some kind of food truck coming in. I didn't, I didn't know the name of it, but 14th and 15th. Pretty popular. Yeah, absolutely, man. 14th and 15th. So it starts on Friday and ends on Saturday. So that's cool. I'll get down there and uh, be able to see it a little bit on Saturday, dude. I'm, I'm pumped for that. Is it feel? Like, I don't know, how many events do you go to? I, being down there closer to Real Foot, do you go to... Um, yeah, I, I go to Real Foot every year, and I've been to, to NWTF. Uh, I guess I went I went there for, I don't know, five or six years and didn't go, but I think I have been the last three years. Yeah. And, uh, man, it's, I don't know, it's just a good time. Everybody's, you know, there's no arguing on Facebook. And everybody's just there to have a good time, and um, everybody's buddies. I mean, I I can go to one of those events and hang out with some call makers that I talk to twice a year, just like I would going to my best friend's house. So it's just a good time. Everybody, everybody just drinks and eats and laughs and jokes at each other and has a good time. Yeah, I think that's man what we've really missed in the last 12 months i cannot think of an event that's been like that outside of Callapalooza last year right when everything kicked off like maybe i just don't pay attention to social media as much like can you think of anything that's been like that because everything uh, was canceled well, yeah, the real foot actually still happened it just wasn't i guess hosted or so to speak by the ccaa um, there were still some guys that came down and gathered. Now it was probably a third of the people that was usually there. Um, but we went down for there again. Had my wife and kids with me, and it was raining. Just wasn't a, wasn't a very good day. And uh, I don't know. We probably stayed half a day or so. Just got to talk to some guys. Met some met some people I hadn't met before, and uh, we ended up. 
Rooster was supposed to cook fish, and he uh, he didn't get there quick enough for my oldest son's liking. So we went over to Boyette's, <laughs> one of the one of the other fish restaurants in town, got us some fish there. But dude, that uh, that's the joy of having small kids and trying to go to events like that, where it's like you never know what's gonna happen. <laughs> the the oh, no. the winds change real quick, like they do, and it's uh, I mean it's it's fun, you know. Like when I when I've had my kids places like there that before, I mean it's you know everybody's you know real nice to and talks to them, and it's you know it's it's good to get to know people on a, a level besides seeing pictures of the duck calls on Facebook, you know. I don't know, a lot of people just not meaning to, but, you know, they don't show that they've got, you know, a family, and that's a big part of their life. I just, of course, I, I guess some people's families don't don't care at all about going to that kind of stuff, but my wife wouldn't miss an event for anything in the world. See, that's, <laughs> that's just, the best She just likes to get out of the house. It, it has nothing to do with duck calls. Oh, right, right. And then, you know, to get out there and socialize a little bit. Like, it's always cool when uh, your significant other, your family, takes that interest in the stuff that you do. And uh, it'll be, like, really funny. We'll be sitting in bed, you know, or whatever, before bedtime and just scrolling social media or something like that. And the girlfriend will will show me a uh, a picture on Instagram, like a sponsored, and it'll be like a, a Michael Meredith call or something like that that's just been shared by somebody else, you know, a, a samples call or something like that. And she's like, oh, look at this call. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's that's Brad's call. She's like, you know that person? I was like, yeah, I know that person. Like, <laughs> you know, it's always funny to get that connection. And they're like, oh, okay, well, you do know. You do know some of these people. I'm like, well, yeah, that's we're a, a small, I guess it's not small. It's a big group of guys, but it feels like a small-knit community. Yeah, it, it does. It, it's, it's one of those things, it's like, you know, you... Before, you know, if he was not never in this, you know, you just take Brad Samples, for example. You know, you would think you would have Brad Samples built up as this celebrity. And you go to a show and he, he would probably spend half the time talking to you about how he don't think his calls are that great. You know, he's just, just as humble as the guys they get to, as you can find. But uh, it's just, you just figure out once you, once you meet some of these guys that, Everybody's like you. They're just regular people. That's the that's the, that's the fun part about it. Yeah, man. And it, you know, it's getting to know the guys that you follow. Like, I remember before I got into call making, and I started following some of these people, and like, you know, seeing pictures of Josh's calls, Scott's calls, and stuff like that all the time. And it's like, oh man, holy cow! You know, the, this stuff is awesome. And then. You know, years later, it's like peers. You know, it just it just mm-hmm. feels weird once you it it doesn't feel weird now because it's part of the everyday community. You know that you talk to these guys, but then it's you know looking back wise, it's like I remember you know buying guys calls instead of you know doing like I'm always super humbled when people want to trade me. 
And, you know, yeah. they, they ask for feedback on stuff. And I'm like, dude, I've been looking at your calls forever before I even started making calls. And it, uh, it's just always so neat, man. It is. It is. That's a... And honestly, the the people and the friendships is, you know, that's, that's my favorite part about all this. Um, you know, sitting out here and sitting in the shop by myself and making calls, that's not the fun part. Uh, it's, and that, you know, and that's one thing that, that me and Colton, that, that's why we kind of went together to do the, the maker's thing. You know, even, even my wife at first, she was like, you know, why, why don't you just, do this yourself. And I was like, well, it's not fun. Like, you know, it's not fun sitting in here by myself all day and and tuning calls and, and doing this, doing that. You know, if you don't have somebody to talk to and, and has similar interests and everything else, it just becomes monotonous and turns into work. Well, but, and, you know, I told Colton, we talked about it last week on there, I said – the idea of two call makers working together, like, you can bounce ideas off of each other. And the the uh, value of being able to work on a tone board and then hand it over to another call maker immediately, not through the mail, not having them give it a, a test run, mail it back three days later, making some small tweaks, but being in the same room together, I just, that's so valuable that, uh, you know, it... It makes change and progress so much quicker, man. Yeah, and, and like you know, for example, on you know, Colton, you know, has has been tweaking his his cut down, which anybody that's ever tried to make a true cut down, I mean, you know, my calls, they may look like cut down. They're not a true cut down. I've never advertised them as that, but uh, you know, he is he has been working and trying to make a true cut down 14 mil read and it's you know to try to get it to sound like a, a cut old as close as possible and it is damn near impossible but it can be done it's i can't remember man it's it's crazy the number of different boards and tone channels step boards and stuff that you he was putting in one call and you know, and we were just talking every day, you know, and I'd say, well, hey, try this. He'd say, I already did. That didn't work. <laughs> and, well, what about this? You know, let's move this one up and, you know, change the diameter of this one or bring that one back but make it a bigger diameter. And it's just, I don't know. It's, he got, we got real close and went down there to his shop one day and I said, all right, let's, I said, cut one. And he spun one up and boarded out the way he's been doing it. And I blew it. And I was like, that's, that's pretty damn good. <laughs> and I said, let's, uh, I said, let's, let's board out just a tiny bit more. And he did. And he pulled it off and he blew it. And he said, that's it. And I blew it. And I said, that's it. I said, put it in box and let's send it to get mapped. And we did. We hadn't we're waiting on our our sample to get back, but if, uh, if it comes out like that one was, it's right. Well, and that's really funny. I don't know if you've listened to his episode from last I week. I haven't. Okay, so that's even perfect. He said that uh, 
He'd been working on this damn thing, kicking ideas back and forth with you. And he said, the biggest accomplishment I've had to date, and you can go back and listen. I'm pretty sure he said the biggest accomplishment or like his his favorite accomplishment, something like that, is when you came down and ran that cut down and we were like and was like, that's it, man. This this is the one. Let's go with it. And he was like he, he sounded like a kid, you know, that had just gotten an A on a test, checking having his parents check on it. He was super stoked about it. So that's awesome. Yeah, because he, he you know, coming up here he had brought several of the, the different cut downs, you know, and stuff. Back before we was you know, we had talked about and had planned on, you know, at some point coming out with a cut down, but before he was really you know, geared into perfecting it. He had brought several up here, and I mean, he could make them sound great. I could. It, it was the difference in air presentation or something, and I just could not. And and honestly, he probably kept tweaking it to try to, just to try to get it where I could blow it. Uh, but but yeah, it's. Uh, I'm excited about it, and it will be. I, I hunt with two two calls, two duck calls on my lanyard. It will be one, and our, our original, the, the origin maker's call, will be the other. That's uh, that's going to be it for me until we come <laughs> out with something new. Well, and that's the the cool thing about it, man. Cut downs are such a such a touchy subject. Like uh, you know, it with, is. yeah, guys will. Uh, this is a conversation i don't remember if it was a podcast or if it was just me and michael talking about it but i remember the first year that michael uh he came out with this cut down and introduced it and placed second at nwtf and uh you know heck yeah your first time trying to do something and placing second at it and i don't want to butcher whatever the story was because i don't remember it clearly but uh he he went almost back all the way to the drawing board because you know it, to me if i'm doing something the first time i do it it places second i'm gonna look at tweaking that and figuring out how i can get it into first but he said he went back to like the drawing board and started over like just because somebody had said something about it being a, a cut down or not a cut down and i was like there's no definition when you ask it on like a call page people like almost joke about it when you know the definition that i've heard is any tone board that's modified and cut quote unquote down is a cut down but you know then it's like you hear the the history and it's like oh you have to have an ult as your base and then cut that like it's just a weird weird subject whereas a j-frame you know you just take a flat jig and start shaping it and then that's your tone board if you like it you know yeah it's uh there's a lot of uh, like you said controversy around cut downs and honestly there's a there's a lot of hype over it that is is strictly just hype for popularity i mean it's you know they're they're not meant for every scenario um there's times when a, a cut down will absolutely ruin a hunt. But I've seen times when they made a hunt into something magical, too. Yeah, I feel like so it's, it's something you have to have competition around you. Like, nobody around me is going to run a cut down. We just do not have the ducks for it, and the ducks that we have are stupid or lost. And it's like hunting 
you know, small water potholes, creeks, and stuff like that. Like, that's why I don't run a cut down. I've never taken it up and really, really got into it. And as a call maker, sometimes I feel like I should. But it's kind of like uh, when you get that message from somebody who's bought calls from you and they're like, well, why don't you make a goose call? And I'm like, you know, I'm staying in my lane. I'm really comfortable making duck calls. I still feel like I have more to learn on a flat jig with a duck call. You know, it's never done. And uh, I, there's so many good guys making goose calls. It's like I'm not messing around with a goose. I don't want to be a stuffer. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it's kind of like that with learning a cut down. I'm like, well, number one, I'm not going to use it in a hunting situation. I don't feel like I need to use it in a hunting situation where I hunt at. So it's like, how can I make a product that I'm not going to use, you know, the 90 days in the field, 60 days in the field, whatever your season is. Whereas a J frame, you know, it's something I use every day. So here's, this is something me and Colton have talked about a lot. And uh, there's, there's people that would, would wholeheartedly disagree with this, but, uh, cut down it, it should be able to get very loud you know it's it's deep tone it's raspy but a lot of people don't worry about the bottom end in a cut down and that's I don't, you know that kind of seems like a modern trend and that, that's something that i don't we don't want you know we want the call to still be able to finesse on the bottom end because i mean yeah you can you can break those high ducks and stuff with a loud raspy call, but uh, I mean, you still got to get them into the decoys, and and you, know, you can blow a call, you can blow a duck out of a hole when he's eighty yards out, pretty easy. And so that's that's something we both liked about this call was that man, the the very bottom end is so loose and so easy, it's almost like a J frame. But, you know, the top end still, I mean, you can, I'm, I could blow it out, but I, I put, Colton always calls me an air compressor. I put a crazy amount of air into my call. <laughs> like, if I sent calls out the way I tuned my own calls, nobody would like them. <laughs> I mean, nobody. But, so that's, that, that's kind of my take on it. Well, and that's, you know, something that I had a lot last year, the year before. Everybody I'd send a call out to, they're like, yeah, man, it's great. I had to trim the reed a little bit, and, uh, you know, that fit me a lot better. And I was like, oh, well, sorry, I blow. You know, when you're tuning calls all day long, yeah. <laughs> you build up that lung pressure. I was like, I blow pretty aggressively on a call. And, <laughs> hey, man, if somebody, uh, and I'm sure I'm guilty of this because, I realized it the other day. I was I was tuning some calls, and you know, I to me I had them tuned just right, and I picked up my hunting call, and I was like, "Crap! I can't even blow this thing. Like it's it's tuned way too heavy." And then I got to thinking, like, "Hell, that that's pretty close to how I was tuning all the calls back this fall and stuff when I was you know hunting every day." And, you know, it, it built my lung strength back up. And I was like, crap, man, some of them people got some calls tuned heavy. <laughs> but it's just, I guess it, it's part of it. Uh, you know, I had several guys here local to me that they, uh, when they come pick up a call, they would 
you know, have it tuned light or lighter than I would usually tune it. That's the way they wanted it. They loved it. And about Christmas, they came back. It's like, man, can we put a little bit longer read in it? You know, I've got more I've gotten used to it. And, uh, I just want a little bit longer read. So that's, to make a long story short, I wish everybody would just learn how to, to tune a call. Cause, and, and when I say tune, I'm not talking about what, you know, we do when we're sitting down on a, on a bench tuning a call as far as sanding and all that. But just, you know, crap, get on a website and buy a hundred reeds and a, a Ziploc bag of cord and play with it. I mean, that's, that's what I tell guys. Like, you cannot screw that call up if you take the original read out of it and cut as many different replacement reads as you want to. <laughs> you can always put that original read right back in. It's going to be just like you got it. Well, and that's another thing, man. I think so many guys don't realize how often you should change your cork out in a call. Yeah. Uh, I, I literally, when I, during duck season, I will keep either in the pocket of my waders or in my vest pocket or something, I will have two or three corks. I already had the corners trimmed off of them. And I'll just, I mean, I'll leave them in there. And. I mean, sometimes it seems like for me, if I hunt, you know, a, a really couple really rainy days or something where the call just stays soaking wet, then crap, I'm going to change it, you know, every four or five days. Um, but then, you know, if we get some a dry, dry stretch of weather, I may go three weeks. But yeah, I, I change my cork a lot. It'll help it keep it from sticking. To keep the sound from kind of getting a, a flat sound, which I guess if you don't ever change your cork, you don't realize it gets flat and you just get used to that sound. But oh, yeah, man. And uh, you know, my collection, I keep I build a call for every season and I'll use that all season long, and then I throw it up on the mantle as kind of you know, like a marker for the year, and that's part of just my collection, one of the things that I do, and uh. You know, I'll pick up a call that I built three or four years ago, and I'm like, dude, that thing sounds like hammered dog crap. And then I'll throw a new read in it, and I'm like, you know, I actually like the way this call runs. You know, (laughs) it doesn't run too bad. And it's like, well, yeah, it's been sitting around. It got blown, you know, for 90 days, and then it sat on the mantle for six months before I picked it up again just to play with it. And it's like, you know, you got to freshen those things up. And people get so worried about putting new reads and stuff like that in like calls that you send out almost almost every call goes out with a new read and you know new corks and stuff like that from whoever you buy it from and it's like you don't necessarily have to change the read out you give you a blank read but it's like i'll give you a new cork because that cork is is really where it's at that's what's going to make a huge difference and obviously if you want to tune it different then you can have a read but uh you know the cork makes such a big difference and i think that's so overlooked by the uh average guy who's going out you know not a weekend warrior but you know what i'm saying uh we just we as call makers take so much for granted as to what people know that's something that me and colton have talked about you know we we're, we're gonna do kind of a little you know, it may just be posts on social media, maybe a blog post, I don't know, but on kind of in-depth tuning a call. And it's just it's just like if I, if I say dog ear read, 
you, you know what I'm talking about. Oh, you yeah. know what it does if you dog ear it. If I say, you know, if you dog ear it more, it'll, you know, might loosen up the feed or the bottom end some, get a little bit more rattle. Um, you know what loosening up means. <laughs> you know, and that's that sounds really elementary, but if you don't know anything about tuning a call, you, you don't know what a call being loose means. And so that's what we're going to try to, to do a little bit better job of trying to, to bring it down a level to, honestly, 90% of the population, the, the people who buy calls, you know, bring it to their level. Well, and that's another thing, man, that I think that's a really good idea, that realistically, call makers are the ones who are pushing each other. It's not customer demand. Like when you go out and you hunt with your buddies who have nothing to do with call making and you know and you know, a weekend warrior joins the group or whatever. And I've become a weekend warrior. I'm not knocking anybody that does that. I used to hunt a hundred days a year. Now with kids and obligations, I'm lucky if I go every weekend. But uh you know, you go out and hunt with that guy and what's he do on a call? Mac, 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 couple feeds. And it's like why the the reason we're building these calls to go as crazy as we can are for other call makers and for guys who are running competition calls. It is not the average Joe Blow duck hunter. They kill ducks for with forever with not to knock anybody who built calls from nineteen oh eight to you know whenever freaking call making. I think we're in this crazy renaissance of call making. Maybe that's just me because I'm in it, but. We're, everybody's pushing each other a lot harder, it feels like, and the average guy is not running a call like that. That's, that's, that's right, and I, I think you, you said something exactly right. We, we, right now, we are in the generation of what will probably be the peak of custom calls. You know, there's, there's so many out there that have so much talent, and it's just... You know, it's not necessarily you're competing because you want to beat this guy. It's just everybody is bringing, you know, the raising the bar. And it's not that you want to, like I said, you don't, it's not because you want to beat that guy or anything else. It's just you're like, man, you know, that's, you know, Brad Samples is carving feathers on bands. I, you know, that gives me an idea. I'm going to start doing this. And then that guy comes out with something new. And then the next guy, you know, starts doing some, some inlays with scrimshaws. And then somebody's like, man, that's a good idea. I could do this on a call. And it's just everybody's feeding off of each other. And I think a lot of it's got to do with, you know, with social media and seeing what everybody does. You know, you think back to, to 30 years ago, there were some really talented guys making calls. But, you know, they didn't see each other's calls every single day. And, you know, when somebody came out with something new, they might not see it until the next trade show. And it's just, it's, it's crazy right now. It's, uh, it's, it's the people that have been in it for less than a year are making calls that are just unreal. And it's, it's, it's sweet to watch. It really is. I mean, in the last three years, you could, you could probably sit down and think of, 20 names of people that made their first call in less than three years ago and now they just make outstanding calls yeah yeah it's 
everything's moving and i think you hit the nail on the head man the social media being able to uh instead of even jumping on a forum and posting a picture and being like hey guys what do you think about this you know but being able to facetime somebody and be able to run the call or have brad samples give you man one of the most valuable videos for all call makers was when Brad did that little mock-up video of how he does his feathered bands. I have seen 9,000 different call, well, maybe not 9,000, but you know what I mean. Everybody learned yeah. how to, I, I tinkered with one. I have a feathered band, you know, junk call, junk barrel. I was like, you know what? I just want to see if I could do this. I haven't added it to my call, like what I offer as a call. I just wanted to see if I could do this. And I watched Brad's video and I was like, hey, you know what? It doesn't look like a Brad Samples, but I bet if I played around with this, I could pick it up. And uh, that is one of the most valuable videos, I think, for call makers that I've ever seen. And it's because of the new technology and everything moving at warp speed. Last year, I really thought a lot of it had to do with you know people being out of work, but I really, I really don't, man. If you're not making if you're doing custom calls and you're not throwing tips on it, inlays on it, freaking all that kind of crazy stuff, dude, you're you're behind the game as far as what the trend is right now. Not saying that yeah. somebody who makes a one-piece barrel, one-piece insert is not making a great call because they are. I know a lot of guys that just do that and make great calls. But, uh, man, the level of decorative stuff that people are just adding to every single call they make is insanity. It is. It is. I think you can also attribute a lot of a lot of it to, man, we've got some people that are making calls right now that are just, they're so passionate about, you know, improving the craft and teaching it to, to other call makers, you know, to make sure that, you know, call making stays alive and well. Because, uh, I mean, man, it, it, it could be really easy for, you know, some of the, the greats to just say, you know, no. I don't, I don't want to teach everybody this. This is kind of my own thing. And, you know, at some point, that, you know, that knowledge and stuff dies with them. And you just, they, you know, you've got guys like Brad Samples, like we talked about, like Brian Byers that does these, you know, he's doing one at Callpalooza. He, he does it NWTF, the, you know, the checkering seminars and stuff. You know, I... Man, there probably wasn't many people 30 years ago that would teach you how to do all that stuff. Oh, yeah. And it's just, you know, it's hats off to those guys for being who they are and being willing to share that knowledge. Because yeah. they, they there wasn't many of those guys around Well, and, you, and you know, in the last generation. People are an open book nowadays with that type of stuff. And it's, uh, it's about building the community up. And, you know, I've talked with you know, different call makers. And I've talked with call makers that have been making calls mainstream wise for 30 years, been, you know, in Max, been in Bass Pro, all this type of stuff. And to hear, you know, them talk about squabbles they've had with, you know, just basic, basic stuff and call making with other big name competition. And it's like, oh yeah, you know, I don't really like this guy because I think he took one of my tone boards out. And it's like, you know, I I get that aspect of it, but you don't see that in call making anymore. And I remember, 
you know, I've talked with Scott Rowe in depth many and many a times about, you know, that. And that was a lot of the stuff that he was facing for a long yeah. time. Yeah, people I were, remember that. Yeah, people were accusing him of everything under the sun. And I'm like, you know what? I could grab somebody's tone board. I'll just use an, an echo, for instance. I could grab an echo and then... I'm going to try my best to replicate that. It's not going to sound the same. Unless I had a machinist who was on board with me and anybody who, you know, Wade is not, he's not copying people's tone board. If you send him something, I've never tried it, obviously, but uh, if you send him another call maker's tone board and be like, oh, I want to get this mapped, he's going to be like, you know, kick rocks. We're not doing that crap here. It's not that easy to copy somebody's tone board. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, it's one of those things that, yeah, it can be done. I mean, there's always local machinists and stuff, but, you know, it's like you said, uh, you know, Mike Stelsner could hand me one of his jigs and, you know, it might take me a month to get everything dialed in because it's just, <laughs> a jig is, is not what it's made out to be. It's really not. Uh, it's a starting point every time well and i can't remember if it was wade or if it was ryan over at pintail you know because he's another custom jig guy that was talking about it specifically and he was like you would not believe how close 95 percent of the tone boards that we get to get mapped out how similar they are because it's a yeah, duck I mean, call if you want a duck I mean, call that's to sound good yeah the the shape of that tone board is what makes the call run. How many times have you, you know, you can you can feel, you know, me and Colton talk about a call feeling good. You know, it mm -hmm. feels good to you when you blow it, when, when it runs, it's smooth. There, there's only so many different ways you can make a call like that. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I can tell you that I, I flat jig every call that I have. But I'll get it to a point where I think it's pretty good. And I have, you know, 15, 20 different trade calls from different guys, and I'll run it, and then I'll go run one of their calls, and then I'll run the next call, and be like, you know what? I'm really not happy with the way this thing is at yet, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. it's not like you're going out there and you're taking a piece of tracing paper and trying to figure out stuff, but you're like, I really like this call. What the hell is my tone board doing right now that I want to change and allow things, you know, to run a little bit better on the bottom end? To get a little more rattle out of it and i think that's something that every call maker has to do because i know right now you're talking about it you're you're doing 30 of your guys's calls right now and then 70 whatever 100 ish calls that you're tuning right now when i'm tuning or flat jigging a call say i do three or four in a day i forget what the hell i even want the duck call to sound like after a certain point, I'm like, you know what? I have to pick up a different call and I have to run it just to make sure I'm really in the ballpark that I think I'm at right now. Uh, and, and it just, you don't understand it when you first start and you appreciate it and understand it more with every call you make, but it's just crazy minute difference can make a difference in sound. It's just like these CNC calls. I can take three of the same color acrylic cnc calls that were made you know tone boards milled out one after another 
and they're all going to have a tiny bit different sound. You know, most people would never realize it. And, I mean, you can, you know, even going from, like, we've noticed that, like, the, the Dead Shots Ivory, it sounds, it has a lot different sound than, say, the Black does. It's, I mean, totally different. I mean, you can even get down to, you know, I've talked with some machinists, and even like the bit that they use to mill out the tone boards, you know, if it gets a tiny, you know, after, uh, I don't even know how many boards they can cut off of them, but, you know, that bit is, is constantly wearing, you know, a tiny, tiny amount at a time. But even that little bitty bit will make a difference. And so, I mean, that's why... I'm, you know, I don't, I don't buy, get into the whole copy and tone boards thing just because, you know, I could, I could hand somebody one of my jigs, and it's, they will probably not make a call that sounds just like mine. Um, you know, there's just little things that every call maker does different that, that changes that. You know, that can be the way you file it in the jig. You know, because, you know, especially like the end of the, the tone board in a jig, like. If that tenant's not absolutely perfect, you'll have just a little bit of spring to it. So, you, I mean, you can file it actually where it's below the jig if you keep going after it and after it and after it. <laughs> well, and that's one of my least favorite things is when a customer hits me up and they're like, hey, I want you to make this certain call and I want you to make it sound like the one that I have right now. I'm like, uh, I'm going to do my best, but I treat... You know, you have to treat every single call as its own. And that's the way I look at it. And, you know, that I, it's so tough to try to replicate exactly. Even, like you said, with a jig, it's so hard to replicate exactly. It's going to run pretty damn close. That's my goal. But they're all unique. And that's kind of what makes it so cool, man. It is. And that's... that's the uh, you know the difference in CNC and, and custom you know I, uh, for a long time I was not a fan of CNC stuff but you know it, it has a place it really does uh, man I'll, I'll tell you right now it's so satisfying when every call you tune <laughs> comes out sounding good because I mean you know there's just some just for whatever reason you can't figure it out they just don't sound that great <laughs> but it's just that, that's so satisfying with the CNC lines that, and you just you know they're going to sound good. <laughs> you know, obviously, you know I can sit there and run twenty five of them, and I could probably pick out one that I like a little bit more than the others. Now, I mean, you know, we're cutting the reeds by hand, so that's probably most of it. But there's always going to be those few that are just sweeter than the others, and. That, that's something that's always bugged me with with the you know making custom calls that man I feel guilty when I, I make a few calls and one of them you know it's still a really good sounding call but it's just not as good as this other one it's just it's always drove me crazy I guess that's just you know a little OCD about stuff but well and the the way you look at that is you even see competition callers coming in. And, uh, you know, with a, an MVP or a boss or, what you know, a ticket, whatever the main competition calling tone boards are, they come into the shop and they'll sit there and run different calls. 
until they find the one. It's the same tone board, same quote-unquote call, same dimensions, but they'll still find the one that fits them. And like I said, I'm not a competition caller. I have no interest in being one. I just have to put that out there, you know, all that type of stuff. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. But I do know that they'll go in and run five or six different MVPs and be like, okay, oh, well, this is the one that man, fits I, me. I, trust me, I, I've done it. I, I went to, I blew in the, there's a there's a scholarship contest in Stuttgart, same weekend as the Worlds. And it's for high school seniors. It's the only people allowed to enter. Anybody, you know, any high school senior can enter. And they, it's, they give college scholarships. It's prize money. And I was blowing a Buck Gardner call when I went over there. It's a good call. Still got it. Still like it. Uh, but when I went over there, I was, man, I was rocking it. Like that was, as far as competition, being able to run routines, I was 17 years old and could blow a routine 10 times better than I could now. But <clears throat> I guess it was the third round. I just blew out the first like three freaking notes of the the hail call i mean just absolutely blew them out and uh i remember butch came up to me after just just being butch good guy making jokes you know him and you know see that group of guys were kind of like they were all kind of buddies but they you know they realized they was in competition they might poke and prod at each other and it might have some meaning behind it, but they could all laugh and, and get over it. And he, Butch, Richard Brad came up to him, and he's like, if you'd been blowing one of my calls, that wouldn't happen to you. <laughs> <laughs> and he was kind of grinning, and I said, oh, really? He said, yeah. He said, come by the shop, and we'll get you one. So I, I couldn't that weekend, but sometime over that next summer, I went back, drove over there, and, and sit there in his old his old call room, you know, before that, before that building burnt down, and man, I had a headache. I bet he had me blow fifty MVPs, <laughs> and like there were some of them that I was like, "Yeah, I like this one." He's like, "No, I don't like it." And man, out of it, may not have been fifty, but it was probably thirty anyway. Out of those thirty, he probably took five of the inserts and threw them away. He said that call couldn't win the world. And finally, he said, I knew he was going to be hard to deal with. And he went over there, he went to another room, and he got an MVP insert that had not been cut out yet. And he put it in a jig and cut it out and blew it. That was the one. It was just, it was crazy. He knew exactly what he needed to do. Now, I don't know what he did different, but he knew what he needed to do to make it perfect. Man. Just that, blew that, my mind. And see, that's such a cool story. That so many guys, you know, obviously not there. I don't know what the numbers are for duck hunters across the United States, but you know, all the the call makers, competition callers, scene like a lot of guys have that story. But as far as a uh, a duck hunting population, like that's a such a small like percentage of people that have that type of memory interaction with you know a legend and that's something that's so cool and that you'll never forget because it was so important in you know your individual life of working with that yeah that's uh 
you know, man, I've been fortunate to. I kind of got into call making from call collecting with my dad and stuff. And I, man, I've been so fortunate to be able to meet so many guys over the years that, you know, are just, honestly, I probably didn't realize at the time, but they're just, they're absolute legends of, of the call industry. You know, from, from Butch Rich and back to, to Buck Gardner to, um, you know, some of the real foot makers and growing up, you know, in the same town with Mike McLemore and stuff. Uh, a few years ago, I got to go down and, and spend a couple of days with Preston Pittman at his hunting camp. And it was just, you know, I don't know if you know him. He's a world champion turkey caller and has made turkey calls for I don't know how long. But just, you know, getting to spend some time with them. And, and I'm, I'm one that when I'm around somebody that uh, like that, they probably think I don't talk at all because all I do is sit there and listen. You're absorbing information, man. Try to soak everything in because it's just, man, I I wish some of them old call makers would have written books because there's just, there's so many stories they could tell that, you know, just they're, they're gone unless, unless people repeat them. And it's just, I've, I've had a lot of conversations with guys and call makers, um, that, that I'll never forget. And I'm, man, I couldn't be more thankful for having those opportunities. You know, and some of them was what came from, from stuff I did, initiated. Some of it came from, uh, you know, obviously through my dad and collecting calls. And some of it came from, you know, just like, I don't know if you know Mark Warmoth. Um, he uh, he kind of runs the... NWTF the, stuff. Yeah, the the call competition up there, and you know, big time collector. You know, he's he's introduced me to a bunch of guys before. That's just man, it's just couldn't couldn't replace it for anything. Man, that is what I love doing about this stuff. Is I feel like uh, most of us call makers are all big nerds when it comes to that type of stuff. Like geek out about stuff, man. Like. When I was doing my TV show, the very first year we were sponsor- sponsored by Buck and uh, met, ended up talking to him. And, you know, I'd been blown. That was the first call that I ever got was a, you know, a Buck Gardner. And that's what we all knew. My buddy had been hunting with him for 15 years, like Buck Gardeners. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, you have this phone call to talk to Buck about, you know, your show and try to sell him on sponsoring you. And we were sitting around, you know, in my living room on speakerphone, just geeking out. And I was like, I cannot believe that I'm I'm talking to this guy right now. And then, uh, you know, I go down and I have a, I don't know, I probably talked to Rick Dunn out of Echo for probably an hour. And I just remember geeking out so hardcore. And I was like, I cannot believe I'm talking to all these guys right now. Like, what is this? Like, I walked out and I asked my ex at the time. She was helping me film it. And I was like, I like what is going on right now you know (laughs) like and now sometimes it almost feels like you take it for granted because i talk to so many cool guys and just like you don't but you're sometimes you just sit back and you're like dude what is going on right now oh i know uh man i remember it was probably man it was probably over 10 years ago now i don't know if you know scott simmons another awesome call maker i don't know if he makes calls much anymore but uh he used to he lived in 
I believe it was West Kentucky around Murray or something. And he, you know, was buddies with uh, John Kep and Brad Samples, uh, Brian Phillips, and you know, through meeting some of them at Real Foot and stuff, and I was kind of, you know, just a kid that was just turning some calls. Um, Scott said, "Hey, man, we're a, you know, John and and, and Brian and Brad are coming up to my house this weekend, and a couple of them's gonna bring some lace, and we're just gonna turn some calls." And I think Scott was into like building ARs at the time. He's like, "You know, we're gonna." gonna waste some ammo we're just gonna have a good time so you know i went up there and i was like i said i was a freaking kid and you know just hanging out with them you know at that time like it was cool but you know i didn't really understand the significance of it then you know i remember that was when like i was you know man i, I didn't know what i was doing like I, I had a public jig i cut it out of a public jig might or might not file it down a little bit and slap a read in it if it sounded good cool if it didn't oh well <laughs> but right. i remember like i was asking some of them about some finishing and they was all like man you need to talk to john you know, he's you know he's doing this finishing it's it's as slick as they come uh he was like yeah i'll show it to you and he was he grabbed a roll of paper towels and his bottle of stuff i was like what is what is this? He's like, this is super glue. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> He's like, you're going to put, and it was, he was using medium glue now, or it may even have been thick. I don't remember. <laughs> you know, like just thick as all get out stuff. Like you, instead of, which I, I don't know how you do it, but I just like get some, some CA, some thin CA and put it on a towel you know, and run it down the, the barrel or whatever. Yeah. Well, with this stuff, you had to um, hold the bottle above the call and let it drip down, and then you basically pushed the bead of, down the call, like six coats, and it's thick. Yeah, I was going to say, that sounds like a thick, thick finish. And I remember just being like blown away by that. I like, never heard of it. And now it's like CA finish. It's what everybody you know that's like that's industry standard on, man if you get on call nuts and be like what's a good uh finish for a, a custom call they're gonna say you know oil finish or ca but yeah it's just it's stuff like that man it's just memories i won't never forget when and you say that you know uh one of the finishes that i always found really intriguing never messed with but i know was popular for a little bit was the massey finish did you ever play I, with that? I've read about it. I've never tried it. Um, I, I've pretty much gone to strictly an oil finish. Um, there's a couple scenarios where I'll use some CA, but now it's not a real CA finish. It's more just sealing the call. Um, but I just, honestly, I hate doing the CA finish. Uh, I can't stand seeing the finish chipped on a call, and, and that's what's gonna happen if you hunt with one. And I just, man, I just love a good oil finish. Yeah, yeah. I oil. It's such a classic look on a call. 
And, you know, I have uh, an Ostovic, and he'll be happy because it's been, like, seven months since I've mentioned his name on the podcast. But to be fair, Eric, it's been six months since I've done podcasts regularly. I have an Ostovic that he did in Velvet. God, I don't... It was my first trade call I ever did, and it was, like, 2015. That sucker, that sucker still has a shine to it, and it still has that CA look to it with his Velvet finish. And I was like, dude... That's the way to go. It just Man, looks so good. That's all. It's it's the only oil I use. It's uh, I, I've tried a bunch of them, and just as far as holding up, it's I, I can't find any but anything that matches it for the way I use it. <laughs> I think I think call makers are keeping velvet oil in business. I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> I know, I know. I get at least a gallon of it every year. And you and, know, uh, at some point of the year, I leave the top off and won't come in the shop for a week or so, and I'll ruin it. But I was going to say, at least buy a gallon. I was going to say, do you use like? Uh, I remember seeing Aaron Winger uh, talk about it about using like um, compressed air before sealing it back up. Do you do you mess with that stuff? No, I don't. Actually, I I prefer the way it does once it about six months in even if you take care of the can keep the top on it'll get a little bit thicker and i actually prefer it that way it's just i guess that's just because i got used to to dealing with halfway cured up oil (laughs) that's just what works for me well and that's another one of the things about call making man that everybody we're just guys out there doing stuff in the middle of the night with whatever tools we have. Hopefully we have the right stuff, but everybody has to learn their own way of doing stuff and figuring out their way. And man, I've, I've talked to people about how they do different things. And I was like, Oh man, I've, I've never even considered doing it like this because I got so accustomed and, you know, I haven't done it yet, but I want to go to other people's shop and kind of do like these type of conversations, but doing it at other people's shops, almost uh, like a visitation type series type something. And I'm like, man, I don't know what the heck I should bring because the comfort level. I talk with Josh about it when he goes up to uh, up to John's shop, Stevens up at R&T, and he's like, the first time I went up there, my back hurt like crazy because I turned so high. And his shop is so much lower. I was like, dude, I didn't even think about that. And when, you know, you build your bench and stuff like that, you're building it for you and your measurements or you're doing working with whatever you have. And that's how you get used to turning like that. Those little minute differences like uh, I had my bench at my old house when I was turning from 15 to 18. And then I started back up in 19 and I had moved and I, you know, went out and got a new bench and all that type of stuff. And for the first couple of days turning, I was like, something just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel good. And I was like, I need to raise this thing up an inch. Like, it, you know, it just wasn't comfortable because it wasn't, you know, that, that comfort zone that I was used to. Man, I remember the first time I went down to Colton's shop and I got on his lathe and I was like, okay, where, you know, where, where do you, you got some, some cutters around, you got like a round carbide? He's like, yeah, here. He handed me this like 
big whopping thing. I'm like, no, like I need the little like twelve inch long thing. Yeah, I need like, a mini. I made a, I, if I was turning a freaking platter, like I would still use the little bitty ones. That's just what I'm used to. And then I, I he put a gave me a piece of grill that we was working on a shape or something. And I started turning, and I was, like, slinging shards of acrylic in my face. I was like, man, I can't do this here. It's not working. There's something wrong with your stuff. <laughs> Dude, it's just that comfort level. You know, everybody has their home and what they're used to. And, yeah, that's that's too funny because it is. It, it just sets you up for, uh, I don't know, just being out of your comfort zone. Yeah, it's... I mean, just down to like, I remember he had asked me about a collet chuck, and I, you know, told him what I had. Well, he ordered, you know, the same kind of collet chuck I had. Well, I get down there, and his like the same thing, but it's like got some grooves on it or something different. And I was like, man, I do not like this. It's like, <laughs> this is different. I don't like it. It's weird. <laughs> it, it's like being, you know, I don't play golf, but like hitting. You know, you have to get in. You have to put your feet where you're used to. You have to get the stance right and, you know, dig out your own little holes or pitching, you know. And that's how I relate it because that's what I'm used to. But it's just finding that comfort zone to let you do your stuff. But uh, that type of stuff, man, is uh, it's just fun to see what other guys do. And I think that's why I'm really going to enjoy and I hope other people enjoy. I'm going to try to uh, get out on the road every now and then and uh just hit up other guys shops that are you know within reasonable driving distance to me and uh you know sit down and do these things in person sometimes yeah that'd be that'd be pretty sweet i've uh i'm probably one of those guys that people look at his shop and it's like man he's got this crazy nice shop i'm like man this is my it's like an extension of my house to me this is where i hang out <laughs> Well, and see, like, uh, mine, I had a guy local, and uh, he just got into making calls a year or so ago. And he was like, hey, man, can I come over and, you know, work with you a little bit and try to, you know, get some ideas and stuff? I'm like, absolutely, man. Like, that's cool. Do you want to hit up my shop or you want to hit up your shop? And he's in the middle of building a new house and building up a shop and stuff. And he's like, oh, I can come over to yours because of that. And I was like, all right, cool. I got to clean up a little bit. And I was like, I just turned in the garage, man. Like, you know, it's like uh, it makes you have to evaluate what the heck you got going on when other people are coming into your comfort zone. Have you you brought that up? Made me think of something. You know, the guys that you have offered to come out and, you know, offer them to come to your shop and help them, how many of them have came? Because I, I, you know, I feel like I've invited several people, and it may go back to being the mindset of call makers like you talked about, people that just go do stuff. It, it's kind of like, you know, people, they want to go see what somebody's doing, but then they, they end up just not, and they just figure it out themselves. Uh, I've noticed that quite a bit. You know, like there's a there's a guy I saw on Facebook, and about 30 minutes from here, he was posting some, some calls on, like, a, a local duck hunting group and stuff that he was making, and I just, you know, they were, you know, he had just started, you know, I'm not going to say they looked bad, but, you know, just some stuff about them I could have helped him with, 
and I offered, reached out to them, said, man, come by the shop one day, and I'll, I'll help you out if you're just getting started. You know, I've, I've got some some old uh, high-speed steel, you know, chisels and stuff, like I'll give you. And he's like, man, that sounds awesome. And I just never heard back from it. And then I, I see later, you know, he posts some more. I'm like, man, those look good. Like, he figured it out. <laughs> Well, and see, I haven't had anybody do the same thing, and part of that is my schedule and just not being, you know, I I tend to turn in the middle of the night sometimes and stuff like that, but I think it's right, man. When I first started, I didn't go all over the internet and start asking call makers for advice. I think my mindset was I wanted to get to a place of respectability and then reach out for help so it's like oh yeah and not just another barrel stuffer type situation i now looking back at it i think maybe it was wanting to get respectable and then grow but then looking back i'm like man i really wish i would have asked some questions because it would have advanced my uh my timetable a little bit and be a little bit further along than i was yeah it's uh there's definitely some things that I do or used to do for years and then, you know, maybe I talked to somebody somewhere and was telling them what I did and they was like, man, why don't you do it this way? Hell, I never thought of that. <laughs> well, and it's like before I started messing with calls, I had never turned on a lathe. I'm from, you know, Springfield. It's not really a big city, but it's a bigger city. And it's like, I didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't do all that stuff. I, you know, I kind of mechanically inclined a little bit, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to go build a hot rod myself, but like that type of stuff. So I got a lathe and I remember the first time it blew up on me, you know, going and touching a piece of wood with too much pressure. And, you know, that a normal person I think would be like, oh, holy shit, that was dangerous. I was like, whoa, that was awesome. You know, (laughs) Yeah, that's uh, that's kind of the way I felt the first time I turned acrylic. I, I mean, I had no clue what I was doing. I didn't know how to sharpen my tools. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is not taking off much at times. So I'm going to dig into it a little bit further. I think I, there's probably still acrylic embedded in the wall on the other side of the shop. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm going to put that stuff up for a couple of years. I'm Dude, I think we're all a little bit messed up in the head. I just think that that's a call maker trend. You have to be a little bit messed up in the head to go down this road. I mean, it's like freaking Waylon Thompson was, he didn't have a a Jacob's chuck for his. uh, Oh, I know. He's a freaking pair of pliers. To to drill out his inserts. He still (laughs) does that, as far as I know. Cause that's, that's how I got used to. Dude, oh, like, he probably don't still do it. I hope, I hope somehow he listens to this podcast and starts making some calls again. <laughs> Apparently, he's gone MIA. Ah, uh, he'll he'll be back. The uh, so, the itch so of it. fishing man. nets. Yeah, the itch of it's fish gonna come nets. back. I don't know whether we're talking about the kind you dip out fish with or the other kind of fish nets, but something's got him preoccupied. He does those dip freaking nets, and then uh. Dude, I was talking to him. I did a podcast with him last year at some point. He builds freaking canoes. Yeah, I know. Like, he is a damn, uh, like a damn, um, I'm trying to think of it, like a modern day 
woodsman like just does all these crazy projects it's like dude that's awesome you know you you see a video on instagram or somebody building something crazy and you're like i kind of have the tools for that i bet i could figure that out and then you never do it this guy just does it yeah i, I remember i met him at real foot a couple years ago he was he was talking about that, that canoe he built he said he saw one somewhere and he's like man i, I need one of them and i think he <laughs> i figured out how much they cost he was like shit i'm not buying one of those i'll just freaking make one <laughs> and he said you know like his first one like it took forever to make i mean you know he i think he's one that you know once he does something he he while he's doing it the first time he figures out the best way you know and figures out what he needs the tools and everything else um and he said his second one too like a like a week or something to make i was like man that you realize it would take i would spend ten thousand dollars trying to make a canoe i could buy for a thousand that's that's just the way i am i spent it's like just recently i decided i wanted to, to learn how to make turkey calls not the diaphragm calls you know what's the first thing i did i bought a feather ridge pro comp press it was 650 dollars and a production cutter that cuts the tape was 550 dollars but honestly man that's i've enjoyed that making the turkey calls this year as much as i have duck calls well it's just another it's another outlet man i feel like i don't i thought it was just me but i'm an obsessive it's just like what we were talking about before we started recording. Like, I started doing these podcasts, and there, we got up to like four a week for a while, and it's just an obsessive. And then I looked at it, and I was like, dude, I haven't turned more than one or two calls a month <laughs> forever. I was like, I kind of like call making and miss it. I kind of want to get back into that. I, I'm the same way. I get obsessed with something, and I want to figure it out. And then once I figure it out, I'm like, all right, what's next? I'm bored with this. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly what you mean. The cool thing about the, making the diaphragm calls is I can sit there and make those. I got TV in my shop too, Wi-Fi, so I can sit there and make my, my turkey calls and and watch Netflix or something at the same time. So it's not really work. <laughs> it's it's tinkering. What are you yeah. What are you doing? I'm heading out to the shop to tinker. Are you building? Call- well, maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure guys that, that do the turkey calls for a living. I, I mean, I think I heard somebody say they could do 200 a day. Uh, yeah, I may, I'll probably talk on the phone to somebody while I'm doing it and, and watch the outdoor channel or something. I, you know, I may only make 25 by lunch, but hey, I'm getting something done. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing is keeping from getting getting burnt out on it and i think that's what every call maker every hobbyist of something runs into is like all right i hit a wall what do i need to do to get back into this thing and make it enjoyable again Mm-hmm. that's right well brother we've been going on for uh, about an hour and a half i think that's a good place to call it all right man well i i enjoyed it Dude, absolutely. It has been too long. I cannot believe it's been a year. I said it in the little prequel I recorded before we got on the phone, and then I said it when we got on the phone earlier, because you sent me a message, and you're like, oh, Cinco de Mayo, that'll work. 
And then I jumped on the Facebook memories and I was like, oh, well, that's when we dropped our last podcast last year with Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> so apparently that's yeah. the day to do it. Well, next year on May 5th, we can meet up somewhere and do it over a few margaritas. Absolutely, brother. And uh, hopefully I'll run into you next weekend, man, for sure. If yeah. I get down there, I'll, I'll definitely there. seek you out. Oh, yeah. We'll be there, man. All right, buddy. Well, I appreciate it, and I'll uh, let you get back to work, and I hope that uh, the first couple days before I get down there go good. Oh, all right, man. All right, Travis. We'll take care. All right. Be good. Thanks, man. Travis Ward. I think I said Travis. Uh, Travis Ward, everybody. Um, Part of the Maker's Call Company. We didn't even get into that stuff. That's just kind of what happens with these podcasts. You just wind up in different things, and then all of a sudden I look down at the clock, and I'm like, "Uh uh-oh, we're up against the uh, recording time. So, uh, yeah, it always ends up fun. Love doing it, love getting into it, love having these conversations. Hopefully you guys are enjoying it. Like, share, subscribe, do all that type of stuff. Um, Yeah, Unstable Calls. If you want to check out Instagram, hit me up, look at some of that stuff. They make a nice paperweight throw that on there for mr ron davis he loves it when i say that um check it out yeah that's all i got for you guys have a good one